morning, church. Good to see you this morning, and it is a joy to be here. I was in Michigan the last two days, and I got to tell you, I am glad I live in Florida, okay? It was 16 degrees yesterday, and I was trying to be strong in the Lord and act like everything was okay, but it wasn't. We were in this, uh, I was at a couple's conference speaking, and we were in this hotel downtown in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and the pastor texted me yesterday morning and said, hey, me and my wife are going to walk over to um, uh, this coffee shop. You want to you go over and have coffee with us? And I was like, sure, yeah, absolutely. You got to understand, I mean, I, I don't have very many jackets at all. The only jacket I have was this really thin jacket, and I, I don't even know why I took it because it doesn't do any good. And <clears throat> we walked out the front door into the parking lot, and as soon as we got away from the building, I mean, it was just, just bone-shattering cold, and I was so thankful that his wife spoke up and said, honey, I think we should drive. And I quickly said, yes, you, you should do this for your wife, pastor, because we're on a couple's retreat here and you need to, you know, you need to encourage her. And so I jumped in as quick as I could. We were on our way to their uh, vehicle in the back of the hotel parking lot. And this guy was with his wife, and I guess they had just loaded their stuff up in their car. And this dude was out there. He had a Michigan hat on. He had a pair of shorts on and a University of Michigan T-shirt on. And I thought to myself, you are so much more of an impressive man than I am. Uh, I, wanted, I wanted to, like, go up and get a picture with him and try to get to know him a little bit, but... I was too cold to even talk to anybody, so I'm glad to be home, and sorry that it's going to be in the 40s this week. Are y'all ready for summer yet? Okay, down here in Florida, this is bad, but so glad you made it today, and trust the Lord, we'll use this uh, message in your life, and in your family's life, and uh, we're so glad to see you here. We're going to turn to Revelation chapter 14. For those of you that are new, we're continuing a series in the book of Revelation entitled, Jesus Wins. And that is the culmination of the entire Bible. Of course, it is the culmination of all human history. It is prophecy. That means history written before it happens. Have you ever, have you ever had this, somebody maybe say this, or you maybe said it, where is this world going to? Well, it's going to Revelation. That's where it's going to. And it's the ultimate culmination of everything in history and all of God's plans and promises are unfolding for us in the book of Revelation. Now, uh, we have also been reading uh, this book out loud together. We're going to do that again today. Now, let's stand as we do this. And I wanted to give you a brief uh, uh, moment to sit. And, and, and I know that some of you are tired and, and want to sit back down. If you need to sit, I totally understand. But out of respect for Scripture, let's just stand as we read this together. We're going to read it out loud together. The words are on the screen. Or if you've got a copy of God's Word, they're with you. That is great, okay? And we're going to begin in verse 1, although the sermon is going to be from verse 6 to 20, and I'll explain that in just a minute. But let's begin in Revelation chapter 14 and verse 1. Ready? Begin. Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters, and like the voice of loud thunder, and I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sang as it were a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 
who were redeemed from the earth. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. There are those ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These were redeemed from among men, being firstfruits to God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or in his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, who worship the beast and his image and who receives the mark of the name. Sorry about that. Let me go to verse 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they that may rest from their labors and their works follow them. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar who had power over fire. And he cried with a loud voice to the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. So the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trampled outside the city, and blood came out of the winepress up to the horse's bridles for 100, 100 furlongs. Amen. Sorry, guys, I'm having trouble today, okay? Yeah. I was in Michigan, okay? That's all I'm going to say. I was in Michigan, and I'm still struggling to recover from that. So my apologies in all seriousness. Uh, for stumbling through that, but but it is God's word, Amen. <laughs> and uh, and I'm I'm recognized that I'm fallible. So I do want to label the message this morning: "You reap what you sow." 
You reap what you sow. Let's pray. God, uh, we're thankful for this time. We're thankful for the Word of God. Lord, we know when we struggle even to read it, um, you have power through it to say what needs to be said. So Lord, today we come to you and we're looking at this part of this book where everything is winding down and everything is so chaotic. And it's almost like, Lord, we read this and we almost want to skip to chapter 20 where you make all things new. And that's how we cry this morning. We look to you redeeming and rescuing all things. I pray today if there's someone here that doesn't know Christ as their Savior that they would be saved. I pray today, Lord, for people who are sowing bad seeds. I pray they will understand there's always a harvest. May you teach us and burn this in our heart in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. Ron Wayne... Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs were the founders of the Apple Corporation beginning in the mid-1970s. At the time, Ron Wayne was the oldest of the three men. Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak were both in their 20s. Ron Wayne was in his 40s. And shortly after they organized the corporation of Apple, Ron Wayne decided that he couldn't venture into this endeavor anymore and decided to share a uh, sell his 10% share of Apple Corporation to his business par partners for $800. That was in 1976. As of February 15, 2024, Apple Corporation is valued at 2.8 trillion dollars a trillion is a thousand billion so 10% of Apple Corporation today is worth 280 billion dollars uh, that's 10 zeros now there's been a lot of people who have asked him since about whether or not he regretted his decision. And he, he does say that he doesn't regret his decision, although today his net worth is a mere $400,000. Maybe he's saying it because it makes him feel better, but I think we could all say that that was ultimately a very, very bad choice. And I think what we learn about financial decisions, marital decisions parenting decisions, life decisions, is that all choices we make have consequences. In Revelation chapter number 16, we are, or 14, excuse me, we are coming to the end of this parenthetical section of the book. Remember, if you're following along in this journey, you have uh, primarily Revelation chapter number 4 through 19, is a, is a picture of what we call the Great Tribulation Period. The Great Tribulation Period is a set of seven years that will take place on this earth when God ultimately and completely will pour out His judgment that has been building since the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3. 
it's kind of the climax of the Bible, okay? So, so this, this tribulation period is, 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 is divided into three distinct sets of judgment. There is the trumpet judgments. There is the, uh, uh, the, the, the uh, uh, seal judgments. And then finally, there is the bowl or the vile judgments, which comes in chapter 16. But in chapters 12 through 15, before you get to that final judgment in chapter 16, there's almost this parenthesis that, that shows us kind of a picture of how this all came to fruit. Remember in chapter 12, we talked about uh, the, the picture of the dragon and the woman and all those crazy things. Then we get into chapter 13, and there's the picture of the Antichrist and the false prophet. And then we come into chapter number 14, and there's one more uh, picture, if you will, but it's a picture of what is getting ready to come. Now, the picture in chapter 14 is fulfilled right immediately in chapter number 16 in the final judgments leading to what we would call the Battle of Armageddon, which, again, we'll get to in just a few weeks. But in this picture that takes place in Revelation chapter number 14, something really rises to the surface here as we read through all this imagery, or I should say, I tried to read through all this imagery. But if you notice what I noticed in chapter number 14, did you see the imagery of agriculture just continue to come up? And specifically, the imagery of harvesting a crop when it comes to full fruit. And so in Revelation chapter 14, what you find is you find the picture here in Revelation 14 is a picture of God reaping a final harvest of judgment. And he uses these terms like sickle and, and fruit and, and ripeness and then, and then processing what is gathered from the harvest. Folks, this is a picture of what is going to happen at the end of time. God is going to literally reap out in judgment what man has sowed for years and years and years. And folks, there is a lesson to be learned from Revelation chapter number 14. Like it or not, believe it or not, whether it is our daily choices or even more importantly, our eternal choices, we do in fact reap what we sow. Now from Revelation chapter 14 today, I want to share with you three realities about sowing and reaping as it relates to the end of time. Number one, I want you to see this beginning at verse number six. We all have choices. Now let me explain to you why I'm not reading through again or preaching verses one through five. And that is because I've already preached those verses and you have to go back in the series to a sermon called God Always Has a Witness. You can look at it on our podcast where I talk about the 144,000 witnesses, okay? And the reason they are strategically placed here again is because notice in chapter 13, at the end of chapter 13 that we looked at last week, people will follow the Antichrist and they will receive a mark in their hand or in their forehead. By contrast, God says, I marked my followers with the seal of God on them. And then you get into chapter 14, later now he's going to contrast this choice. Watch this. You're either going to follow the Antichrist in the book of Revelation or you're going to follow Jesus Christ. There's only two choices. And in verses 6 down through verse number, uh, uh, let's see, 13, you're going to see this choice unfold. Now, folks, when I say we all have choices, you know that that's true. Some choices are big, some choices are small. Some choices are significant, some choices 
are insignificant. How many of you have a spouse that if you ask them, where would you like to eat dinner, they are going to give you the infamous, I don't care. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Of course, and we all guys, guys, we all know they actually do care. But somehow they would like us to read their mind and somehow be a superhero and be able to somehow meticulously calculate what she's trying to think or feel. Guys, look, will y'all quit doing that, okay? Will y'all just stop doing that? It is frustrating, okay? Just tell us what you want to do and we would be happy to accommodate it. But guys, look over the course of your life on a more serious note. I mean, look, look, at, the, look at the ramifications of your choices. Think about your marriage. Think about what's happened with your children over the last 10, 15 years. Think about the career choices, the college decisions that you made, uh, where you've ended up living and purchasing it, uh, whether good or bad. Don't we all live out the inevitable consequences of the things that we have sowed into our lives through the years? Sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad, but we all live with the consequences of our choices. Now, I'm going to share with you the choice that God offers everybody between verses 6 and verse 13. Listen very carefully. Uh, look, where you go to college or who you married or what kind of career you chose, that is important and it has major ramifications on your life. But I want to say this to you today. What I'm getting ready to share with you, there is no bigger consequence because there's no bigger choice in life, and that is this, to believe on Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. There is no bigger choice and there are no more significant consequences to any choice you will make. So let's look at verse 6 and see the gospel offered. Look at verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven. Look at this. Having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth to every nation tribe, tongue, and people. Man, I got great news for you. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. And notice this, it is the everlasting gospel. There always has been, is, and always will be one and only gospel. There are not many, there are not two, there are not many choices, there's one, it's everlasting. The message that Jesus preached in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is the same message these angels are going to preach at the end of time. It never stops. It never fades. It never changes. We don't need to adjust it. We don't need to tweak it. It is the good news. What is the good news? Christ Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again from the dead the third day according to the scriptures and he calls all men everywhere at all times to repent of their sins and believe on Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That is the gospel. And I want you to see something that encourages my heart. See just how far into uh, the future God is going to allow the gospel to be preached. Is this not crazy? I mean, we're getting ready to see the end of all things, the final judgment. Folks, the earth is getting ready to burn up. A new heaven and a new earth are getting ready to be established. And up to this point, Men and women have turned their back on God and they have thumbed their nose at Jesus. And guess what? He's still offering them the good news. And can I encourage you today? Nothing encourages me more than to tell you this. Jesus offers the gospel to you freely.
And there are people in this room, no doubt, you struggle with choices that you've made. You struggled with paths that you have carved. You have struggled with where your life is and maybe the disappointments. You may have even struggled right here, right now, about, about uh, what it means to be a follower of Jesus and how you don't think your life lines up with that. And you can't possibly see how Jesus could love you or save you. I'm here to tell you, Jesus loves all people in the world, including you. When the Bible says, for God so loved the world, I want you to picture this. I want you to picture you snuggled up inside the O in the word world and count it personal that God loves every single person, including you. It is offered freely. It is offered for every man. It is offered for every nation. And it is offered until the very end. Now, folks, that ought to encourage you, but it also ought to sober you up. There will actually finally, at the end of Revelation, be a day where God's not going to be offering that gospel to anybody else anymore. And may I say this to you, there is a deadline for every human to cross that will eliminate their ability to be saved. You want to know what it is? It's the deadline of death. The Bible plainly says in Hebrews chapter number 9, it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. So God gives you an opportunity. The opportunity is called life. And you have this life to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But the minute you die, there's no praying you out of the problem you got yourself into. There's no somebody working vicariously on your behalf to get you out of, uh, out of eternity without God. You have this life and you have the opportunity while you are breathing right now to receive the free offer of salvation. So it is offered freely, but number two, it is offered clearly. Look at what he says here at the end, or middle of verse 7. Saying with a loud voice, fear God, give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. He says, fear God. Reverence God instead of the Antichrist. Give God glory instead of the dragon that's been presented in chapter 13. Worship him instead of worshiping the beast. I mean, it's a clear presentation here. In contrast to chapter 13, God is offering people a chance to repent and believe the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm saying to you today, I think that's what's missing in so much preaching and so much people believing, particularly here in the South where everything that looks like Christian, sounds like Christian, smells like Christian, must be Christian. Are you kidding me, friend? Listen, if you do not repent... And turn to Jesus Christ. Meaning, turn away from your self-effort. Turn away from your religion. Turn away from your attempts. I have recently talked to somebody and said to them personally, listen, you are trying. You are trying your best effort to come to God and to get God to accept you. You've got to turn away from that. And look, there's a, a myriad of people in towns like this in the South where they grew up in church. And they sat in these pews in churches like this every single week and they listened to the gospel and they, they wrestle in their mind with questions like this. But I grew up in church. But, but, I, but I did this and I remember when I was a kid and all this and, and there's been absolutely no evidence of being a disciple of Jesus, of turning from their sin, of being a follower of Jesus at all. And I'm telling you guys, you've got to make a choice to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. It is offered freely, it is offered clearly, and it is offered logically. Look at this. Look at what he says here in uh, the next verses. He says here in verse 9, 
Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast or and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, watch this, he also himself shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God. Now, folks, you remember back in chapter 13. In chapter number 13, uh, he talks about if you did not receive the mark of the beast, you will be destroyed, right? We just learned that last week. Now, what a contrast in chapter 14. In chapter 13, the Antichrist says, worship me or you're going to die. In chapter 14, Jesus says, worship me or you're going to die. What sounds like a pretty clear and obvious distinction, a logical presentation that Jesus wants you to think about today. Folks, I want you to think about this logically. At the end of the time, okay, you will be crushed and ruined by somebody. If you follow the Antichrist or don't follow the Antichrist, you're going to be destroyed by him. If you follow the Antichrist, you're going to be destroyed by God. It is a really powerful contrast that God is saying there. In other words, the choice should be logically and clear. Would you rather be hurt temporarily and physically by the beast? Or would you rather be crushed eternally by God? Would you want temporary rest that the beast offers to people who receive the mark, like being able to eat, being able to trade, being able to do commerce? Remember we talked about that last week, the comfort that people seek in materialism? So do you want that, or do you want what he says here, eternal rest? Because people that do not believe in Jesus Christ have no rest eternally. But Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28, Come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So the gospel is presented. Number two, the warning is given. Verse 10, look at verse 10. He himself who, does, who, who, who receives the mark of the beast, watch this, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. Folks, listen, I, I want to say this this morning, and I know that, that, that if, if you're um, caught up in cultural Christianity, it is doubtful that you will ever hear somebody talk about the wrath of God. Now, I, look, I don't need to lift my voice when I talk about this, but I want you to plainly hear this. God is a God of wrath. And ultimately, people that do not accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and follow their own path in life and do what they want to do with their life and literally turn their backs on Jesus Christ, there is a final payday coming someday. Now, I am your friend enough to tell you. There might be another pastor that won't tell you that, and that's fine. There may be, as 2 Timothy chapter 4 says, teachers having itching ears that will give people what they want to hear, but I got to tell you, it, 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 I am not your friend. I am not kind. I am not worth the gunpowder it would take to blow me away if I would not sit here and tell you plainly from the Bible that without God in eternity, people will experience the wrath of God. And notice what it says again in verse 10. It says wrath is poured out in full strength. Now, you know, in these days, he's getting ready to talk about wine and processing wine. Uh, in these days, as wine went through the fermenting process, uh, wine would be cut by water. 
And the reason wine would be cut by water is because, quite honestly, it would be so potent that it could harm people very easily. And that is why, like things today, distilled alcohols are so much different than things like wine because they have so much potency to them. They're cut out by water. And here's what God is saying. You guys all understand this. You all understand when wine is processed, it is cut by water. What does that mean? It is diluted. Here's what he says. If you die without God, you are going to drink a full cup of God's wrath and it will not be diluted. Can you even imagine what drinking a full dreg of God's wrath must be like? And then he goes on and says, not only is there an assurance of God's wrath, there is a place of God's wrath. And notice what he says as he goes on in verse number 11. Uh, he says, or excuse me, in the verse 10, uh, it says here, he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. The verb translated tormented here speaks of ceaseless affliction and incurable pain. It is the same verb that is used in Luke chapter 16, verse 23, to describe hell, where the rich man was tormented in the flame forever and ever and ever. And then he uses the word brimstone. You know, you know, most people would recognize that the word brimstone is used in the book of Genesis, chapter 19, verse 24, where God rained down fire and brimstone, burning stones from heaven to crush in judgment people that turn their back on him. What is God saying to us today? He is saying that there is a place coming that is a place of judgment. It is a place of torment. It is a place of fire and brimstone. Quite frankly and simply, people, he's talking about hell. And i got to tell you, it's not easy for me to stand up here and talk about this. Because I run extraordinary risks when I do this. I run risks of immature believers not understanding how a pastor could talk like this. I run the risk of a, a, a washed out modern church that makes me look like an oddball by talking about this. I, risk, I run the risk of somebody new who, who listens for the first time and it just sets them so back that they can't possibly process it all. I, I understand that. But folks, listen, risk must be run. Because I would rather be the guy that tells you the truth about eternity than the guy that tells you what you want to hear about eternity and then you end up going to the wrong place in eternity. So Fred, I love you enough to tell you this is in the book and it's not just in the book here. It is all throughout the Bible. By the way, did you know this? Did you know that the Bible actually talks about heaven or excuse me, hell more than it does about heaven? Do you know there are 270 or excuse me, 290 references to hell in the 27 books of the New Testament from Matthew to Revelation? That means that for every book there's over 10 warnings about hell in the Bible in the New Testament. Guys, I'm not saying it because I enjoy it. I'm saying it because it's true. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, let's say, let's say St. Augustine is 29, 27 miles from here. Maybe that's about right. I don't know. 27 miles from here to St. Augustine downtown. And we got, in, we, got in, we got in several buses, and we drove from here down to St. Augustine. And in the 27-mile ride to St. Augustine, there were 290 warning signs. You ever been there by that place on 95 where there's the no parking signs, like a billion of them? Okay, something, it'd be, it wouldn't be too far-fetched. Can you imagine over 10 signs every mile, every tenth of a mile, 
Do not keep going. Do not keep going. Danger ahead. Danger ahead. Danger ahead. Danger ahead. Warning. Warning. Turn around. You don't want to go this way. And people look at preachers today like they looked at Noah back in Genesis when Noah preached the gospel and told people that judgment was coming and they all thought he was crazy until it started raining. And then when it started raining, they started thinking, but it was too late. So as your friend today, I'm telling you, there is a warning by God given. And at the end of these, this section, the, the believers are identified. Look at verse 12. It says this, here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus Christ. And I just want to simply say this to you, and I'm going to, I'm going to kind of move through this as quickly as I can. But I want you to say, uh, see in verses 12 down through 13, there are five marks of genuine believers that are mentioned in these two verses. If you are genuinely a follower of Christ, these are going to be evident in your life. So please listen very carefully. I'm not asking you to go, do you go to church? Are you generous? I'm asking you, do you have the marks of a genuine believer in your life? Number one, there's endurance. Genuine believers endure. Genuine believers don't come to church, get excited for a month, and then they're nowhere to be found after that. Endurance. He says in verse 12, here's the patience of the saints. Here, here are those who keep the commandments of God. The second mark of a genuine believer is obedience. 1 John chapter 2, or 1 John chapters 1 through 5 tell us that obedience to the word of God is an evidence and a mark of someone's genuine salvation. Number three, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says at the end of verse number 12, and the faith of Jesus. Then verse 3, I heard, or 13, I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Assurance. I ask people this question all the time, and I'll ask you right now. Do you have 100% absolute assurance that if you were to die, that you would go to heaven? That's what this verse says. It is an assurance. Everybody who dies in the Lord has this peace, has this assurance in their life. Do you have that assurance? And then finally, number five, they have rest. It says here in verse, uh, the end of verse 13, it says they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. Can I say this to you very simply? It's a simple choice today. It's a choice between heaven or hell. It's a choice between temporary or eternal. It's a choice between tre the treasures of evaporating riches or things that last. It is a choice about living for what matters and living for what doesn't but... You have to make a choice. Number two, choices have consequences. Now, I promise the rest of this will be faster than the first part, but in, in verses 14 down through 16, he begins to describe the consequences of this choice. And the consequences of the choice to follow Jesus or follow the beast are manifest in the bold judgments of chapter number 16. The judgment introduced to these verses will take place at the worst time in human history. The great tribulation. The Antichrist will be ruling with oppression. There will be demonic assaults. There will be terrifying, devastating judgments of God. People will be weary, without hope, and thing, that, 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 that things are going to continue to get worse, and they will. And then it does. Look at verse 14. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and one who sat on that cloud was like the Son of Man. This is Jesus himself coming. And I believe from verse 14 down to verse 20, we're talking about the, uh, an image of the battle of Armageddon. And watch how Jesus is described here. Look at what it says here in verse 14. It says, uh, he was sitting on a cloud. He had on his head a golden crown. Why? Because he's the king of kings. 
He's the God of the universe. This is the diadem. This is the royal crown. And the king is stepping into this world to exercise judgment. And look what's in his hand. Now, folks, look at this. He had in his hand a sharp sickle. Now, we don't use sickles here or anymore, but I've been in places in third world countries where they very much do. They'll go through and they will take a sickle, which more than likely is a long wooden handle, and on the end is a curved-shaped uh, blade sharpened on both sides. And when the harvest is ready to be reaped, the reaper will come through with that sickle and he'll mow down that field like grass. And then the, then the reapers will come behind them and they will pick up the harvest, a sharp sickle. Now, I've been thinking about this word sharp for all week. In fact, I would say to you that the word that has zeroed in on my attention most this week as I've been preparing for this is the word sharp. Isn't that a really intentional word by God in that text? A sharp sickle. How does a sickle get sharp? A whetstone will take the edge of that blade and it will sharpen it until it is ready for use. Do you want to know what sharpens God's sickle? Sin. Guys, I want you to listen to me. For 6,000 years of human history, God has been sharpening this sickle. Every time a lie is ever told, the whetstone strikes. Every time somebody walks out on their family and doesn't do right by God, a, a, a sickle gets sharpened. Every time a baby gets aborted, the sickle gets sharpened. Every time a murder takes place in our city, the sickle gets sharpened. Every cursing, lying word that falls out of man's mouth, the sickle gets sharpened. Guys, can you imagine how intense this must be that the God of the universe has been sharpening this sickle ever since the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3 and one day the blade is coming out and every sin and every crime and every evil that has ever been done that has caused this sickle to sharpen is then going to be exercised in judgment on a ripe harvest. Folks, I'm here to tell you, there is a payday. You reap what you sow. You reap more than you sow. You reap later than you sow. But you do reap what you sow. And then God goes in to tell us in verses 17 down through 20 that the consequences, number three, can be severe. So you have choices, and your choices have consequences. But what we learn here is that consequences are severe. And here's what is amazing about verses 17 through 20. In verses uh, 14 through 16, he talks about reaping the harvest. Verses 17 through 20 talk about processing the harvest. And he uses imagery here about a grape. Grapes being processed off the vine. And grapes are taken off the vine, and they are thrown into a large wine vat, and they are literally stomped out in there. How many of you have seen the famous uh, I Love Lucy episode where her and, and I don't know who's with her, but she's in there stomping out the grapes. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Everybody's laughing. I guess you do. So you know, that, is, that is actually a fair picture of what is happening here in verses 17 through 20. The difference is the grapes are God's judgment, and the person who's stomping them out is God himself. And this is no question a picture of what's going to happen at the Battle of Armageddon in chapter number 19, whenever the Bible says it, that look at the last verse, verse 20, it says, the blood will come out of the winepress up to the horse's bridles, 
for 1,600 furlongs, roughly 184 miles. And most people believe it is one of the largest valleys, the Megiddo Valley in Israel, where, 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 where when this army comes out to fight God, God is going to come out and a sword is going to come out of his mouth like that sickle. And he's going to wipe all those armies out. And the Bible says here, the blood in that valley, and I believe it's a metaphor here, the, the blood in that valley is going to would rise up to the bridle of the horse. So about five or six feet deep. This is an unbelievable picture. This is the picture of ultimate consequence. Did you know the song, the Battle Hymn of the Republic, is based on this text? And some of you have heard this song. You, you've heard uh, uh, the song, Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He hath loosed the faithful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. Have you ever wondered where that song came from? Most people think that song is a song about the second coming. It's not about the second coming. In fact, the lady who wrote that song is a lady named Julia Howell. She wrote that song in the 19th century. You want to know what the setting of writing that song was? The setting of writing that song was in the Civil War. And she had visited the camps. She had saw the bloodshed. She had witnessed the hurt and the loss and the devastation. And my understanding is, of course I wasn't around then, but my understanding is as I read about this, many people believe that the end was here. They believed that the Lord was coming. They believed that the Civil War was judgment on this country. And she wrote that song. I have seen them in the watchfires of a hundred circling camps. She had been in the camps. She had seen the wounded. She had seen the loss of limbs. She had watched soldiers take their last breath. And she writes that song that that was like the judgment of God on this world. Kind of crazy, isn't it, to think of it in that light? But here's the bottom line. If that woman thought that, that, that the battlegrounds of Gettysburg was the second coming, can you even imagine how ultimately terrible this judgment is actually going to be? Guys, I'm going to end by quoting Charles Spurgeon. I want you to listen very carefully. The Bible is clear that God's righteousness will be poured out in judgment. Romans 2, 5, and 6, 2 Thessalonians 1, and 7, and 8. Guys, look, this is not, this is not me preaching something that I want to because I'm mad. I am preaching this because it's the next chapter in the Bible that you need to hear. But as you consider eternity, as you consider heaven and hell, as you consider following Jesus or not, I want you to listen to the words of Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher from yesteryear from England. He said this, I beseech you, do not risk this doom for yourselves. Escape for your lives. Look not behind you, but fly to the only refuge which God has provided. Whoever will entrust his soul to Jesus Christ shall be eternally saved. Look unto him who wore the thorn crown and rest your soul's entire confidence in him. Then in the great last day you shall see him seated on a white cloud wearing a golden crown and you shall be gathered unto him in the harvest. But if you reject him, do not think it wrong that you should be cast with the grapes into the winepress of God's wrath and be trodden with the rest of the clusters of the vine of the earth. I beg you, 
Take Christ as your Savior this very hour, lest this night you should die unsaved. Lay hold on Jesus, lest you never hear another gospel invitation or warning. And that's my final word to you. I'm asking you to process this message as if it is the last time you'll ever hear somebody tell you about Jesus and consider whether or not you are actually genuinely saved. Let's pray together. Guys, this, is, this, this passage is a strong warning. My heart and my goal is to preach not just the content of a passage, but the intent of a passage. We preach the word, but we preach what God, God's intention from the word. This is, guys, this is a strong passage. And there's a lot of hope coming in chapter 19, 20, and 21. A lot of hope. But guys, before you get the good news, you've got to have the bad news. I'm confident that there's someone here without God in their life. Somebody. And if you died today, you do not know for sure that Jesus is your Savior. You do not know that heaven is your home. Today, I'm, I'm, I'm encouraging you. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. You can do that wherever you are because Jesus takes you as you are, where you are. Whenever you're ready to open up your heart to him and believe on him, he is ready to accept you and welcome you into his family. My question to you is, wouldn't you like to do that today? Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you like to know that you don't have to worry about this crazy moment of judgment that's coming on every person without God? And wouldn't you rather know that you're going to have that peace and rest when you die that Jesus talks about in this passage? So today I'm going to invite you right where you're seated to open up your heart like the front door of your house and welcome Jesus Christ into your life. If you have never done that before, if you've never prayed and invited Jesus to be your Savior, to turn away from your sin, to turn to Him, invite Him to be your Lord and your Savior, I'm going to encourage you to do that today. I usually give an opportunity by helping people formulate just a prayer in their heart or out loud. My prayer won't save you. Only Jesus saves you, but he saves you when you ask him. And so today, would you open up your heart right now, pray a prayer something like this, dear Jesus. Just do it right now. Just call out to him right now. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I cannot save myself. but I believe in Jesus Christ. Today I accept him as my Lord and Savior. I believe he died and rose again for me. Thank you for loving me. Help me never to be ashamed of you. It's a simple prayer. It's the kind of prayer God hears. It's the kind of prayer God loves. 
nothing flowery, nothing professional. Just, God, I need you. I'm asking you to save me. Please, right now, will you do that? And if you did that, I want to be the first to say welcome to the family of God. Congratulations on accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I'd love to pray for you. I'd love to help you. We have people at our Next Steps booth in the back ready to help you. We've got a gift for you. If you have just prayed that prayer a minute and you're glad that you did, would you let me know who you are by just slipping up your hand high enough that I can see it? And then you can lower it right back down. Praise the Lord. That's great. Thank you. That's great to see. Who else? Preacher, that's me. I just prayed that prayer a minute. I'm so glad that I did. And I praise God for that. Praise God for that. We rejoice with all who have said yes to Jesus here today. And days gone by. Let's pray and then we're going to stand and worship as we're dismissed today. Lord, we love you. We're grateful for the opportunity to uh, have heard the gospel. Now to see at least one receive the gospel as we've seen so often. We rejoice with that. We give you the glory and pray many more here and around the world will receive Christ as Savior today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and worship if you will.